Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Getting It Out Podcast. That was Tripper. They're a Baltimore hardcore band formed in 2022 and played their first show this year, 2023, back in May. And they also released their first EP, People Die Every Day, furious seven minutes of hardcore music, as you just heard there. You can draw a lot of similarities between them and their peers, but let's just say they are a new Baltimore hardcore band currently on the rise. Who knows what they'll do uh, because the ceiling for a Baltimore hardcore band has been raised exponentially by bands like Turnstile, End It, Jive Bomb, Trapped Under Ice, the ones who have gone far beyond anybody's expectations and now have become the exception, not the rule for hardcore band success, but there's one thing in common. They're coming out of Charm City, baby. And that's what we're doing on this episode of the podcast. We're going back to the band who started it all. The springboard, the foundation for Baltimore hardcore. We're talking to Mike Lars and Mike Caver of Gut Instinct. But first, we got to stop over in New Jersey. And get an earful from Hot Zone. Check it! Out. 
I just made a list. It's uh, it's kind of long, but that's okay. That was the point. That's why I wrote it down. I wrote it down physically. I'm going to read it for you. These are all the bands that I could think of off the top of my head that in the last six years I've had on Getting It Out podcast. And maybe in that context, it's not as many, but I guarantee you it's more than any other city in the world. Here it goes. End it at least four or five times. I don't know how many times I've had them on. Almost every member of the band has been on the podcast. Good thing because they're friends and uh, it works. Anyway, moving on. Trapped Under Ice. Uh, not Pulling Teeth, but three different members of Pulling Teeth. Actually, two different members of Pulling Teeth, three different times total. Next Step Up, Stout, Jive Bomb, Dying Fetus, Misery Index, Mastier, Luxury Teeth, Asthma Castle, Be Well, two times, Neolithic, Nub, Dosser, Pig Destroyer, twice, and End Rain. You could also add in Scour. You could add in uh, several other bands I'm 100% forgetting, but the point is... The greatest city in America, as told by the infamous benches, has produced a rather constant stream of high quality underground music that has somehow ascended into the mainstream on a couple different levels. All of it, which no doubt owes a little bit to the one who kind of started it all. And that, of course, is Gut Instinct, started in 1987. It's been a goal of mine to get them on the podcast, and I've tried a few times and failed. Not their fault, always mine. Just kind of let it pass. And they were a band that I personally came around a little bit late to, but I guess it wasn't really my fault. They weren't available. You couldn't get their music unless you had the demo tape or the 7-inch, all of which were out of my reach. Until, of course, A389 Records re-released everything in the mid-2000s. That discography CD was the gateway to all the great things that Gut Instinct has released over the years. And the 7-inch re-release as well was, of course, instrumental in my introduction to the band. However, what really helped was that when they did these reissues, they played shows. And over the years, before, during, and after I lived in the city, Gut Instinct popped up here and there for one-off shows. And deservedly so, they were celebrated every time with a raucous reaction and irresponsible partying, as Baltimore does. With the news that they were getting together again, this time to play Disturbing the Peace Fest in Baltimore in late January of 2024, I thought, now's the time. I got to get a hold of these guys. I finally got to have this conversation. And with the help of fill-in drummer Matt Mabin, I was finally able to make it happen. So this one, as all my favorite conversations do, came together over a lunch break this week where I hopped on the old Zoom and talked to guitarist Mike Lars and bassist Mike Caver about their experiences forming the band, being in the band and resurrecting the band and even asked about that infamous picture. We're going to get to all that, of course. But first, if you haven't heard the band, if you were like me, if you were late to your introduction to Gut Instinct, if you still have some type of excuse, despite the availability of streaming services, your excuses are over with. They're done. Now, right at this moment, you're going to listen to Gut Instinct for your first or maybe 3,000th time. This is the eponymous track, Gut Instinct, and then my conversation with the fellows. Like a 
where does Baltimore Hardcore start with you guys? I think it started with us in the sense of hardcore, hardcore, uh, the East stop, the East Coast style hardcore, uh, because there's there was punk rock in Baltimore for a, a good while, uh, especially in the early 80s. But I think at a time somewhere around 85, the times began to change a little bit as far as the music scene and especially on the East Coast. And the sound was changing. And it's cool. Everybody was listening to Bad Brains and government issue, misfits, stuff like that. But then New York started to come up on the rise with uh, their style of hardcore. You had Crow Mags, Agnostic Front, bands like that coming out and use up today. The whole youth crew movement started to become a thing. And uh, Baltimore had a lot of punk rock bands, but not like hardcore bands. So I think well, me and Mike kind of had the same idea, but didn't know each other. We were like, hey, you know, I think individual out minds. We need to get in on this uh, represent your city type of hardcore uh, movement dialogue that was happening at the time. And uh, we kind of came together with the same idea. And uh, that kind of start the ball rolling as far as putting the band together. Uh, we both had this idea about because we figured, you know, Baltimore is a blue collar town. These kids are on a, on a rough side for the most part. And, uh, you know, why is there not a band for Baltimore like uh, Agnostic Front or Chromax? So we were thinking in those terms of putting the city on the map as far as the band. We didn't know how it would go. We just were doing what we knew, what we liked, and it kind of came across that way. And, you know, everything just kind of came together. What'd you say, Mike? Yeah, that, that's that's perfectly it. it, it we, we just we came along as the uh as the tides were changing and we were just in on something else. And so we started that kind of, uh, we, we, we were more interested in, in, in the newer sound that we were hearing, but, uh, you know, really when you look at it, Baltimore has always been a hardcore town, Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's with, uh, with a, with a real, with a real strong scene actually. So, uh, my view of it has always been, um, we were just able to, uh, to be a part of the scene that Baltimore already had going. We just were, we went in a different direction than it was, than, than things were happening at the time. Hmm. So wh where did you two meet? Actually, I don't know if Mike remembers, but Mike was playing in a band uh, called White Noise at the time. And I saw Mike, I might've yeah. seen him around at shows, but then this band White Noise came together, which is kind of like thrash metal, I would say. And, uh, you know, mixed with that hardcore sound. And when I heard them play, I was like, see, that's what I want to do. I want to, I need to get in that band. But I'm like, but that band, you know, they got a bass player. I was like, got this guy playing. <laughs> so after we started uh, on my end, started seeking out people to play that style of music, which was kind of close to what White Noise was doing. I didn't think about getting into that band, but something similar. I said, okay, well, there's people around that's playing that sound, that kind of fast more ferocious kind of sound. And uh, so I met a guy, Richie. Well, me and Richie were friends for a while before that. And uh, he actually knew Mike and knew the guys in White Noise. And so I think me and Mike officially met like at a party. Wasn't it Mike's like some party yeah. I remember? And yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Richie's like, oh, I know this guy, Mike. He plays bass in White Noise, but he also plays guitar. And I was like, oh yeah, really? And I was like, so I got excited about that. And I was like, okay, there we go. So we met Mike at a party and it kind of took off from there as far as uh, meeting and getting together. I never heard of white noise. Is there any recorded white noise material out there? There's, there's some stuff out there, but it, it's, it's hard to find. I don't have it. <laughs> that was, uh, <laughs> that was, that was, that was many, many, many years ago, but there's some cassettes floating around. If it's matter of fact, if you get, if, uh, if you ever get a hold of Grant, he's got a copy. I know he yeah. does. Nice. Nice. Well, that's a, uh... That's cool because I, I often, when I talk to people about Baltimore hardcore, like I said, we all kind of go back to Gut Instinct is the first band. But but I know there, you know, obviously you guys were, like you mentioned, there's White Noise before that. There's other bands before that. But uh, what year do you actually start and get together, like first Gut Instinct practice, let's say? So like, I don't know. I, I feel like it's 87 or 88. It was, it was 87. It was definitely... Uh, I would say the beginning or mid 87. Yeah. 
I think yeah, it, like the, the like, yeah. maybe like that summer because I remember Mike. I remember you were uh, still in high school. And we, yeah. <laughs> so we kind of yeah. gauge from there. So whatever year you graduated from high school, I know we started before that. So yeah, somewhere around eighty-seven. Yeah, eighty-seven's right. It would it would have been it would have been the summer of eighty-seven, like right towards the end of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, were you guys were you all living in, in the city at that point? I wasn't. Um, I lived just outside of the city limits, but uh, it was on this really the the street that I lived off of. You like if we'd skate down the hill and we'd be in Baltimore City, you know, right. and then we'd just hop buses from there to get in the center city and, and, and go to shows and shit. Yeah, and I lived in the city. I lived in uh, West Baltimore, not too far from Pimlico Racetrack. Mm-hmm. Which is not far where Mike was actually in that, in that Pimlico area when he crossed over into the city. Yeah, like actually, Pimlico Park Heights area. Park Heights, yeah. As far as the uh, punk and hardcore scene, where was that happening at in the city at the time in relation to there? Well, that's the other thing. You know, at, at that particular time, there was no uh, particular place. People were just kind of throwing shows at whatever venue uh, that would allow it. And, and, you know, you always had some sort of, you know, guys that were like, you know, uh, I guess, uh, you know, people that put on shows. And uh, but before that, you know, we had uh, like home bases like The Loft, mm-hmm. which was a place that a lot of great bands played at. But that was more like the early 80s. But somewhere around 86, it kind of died off. And mm-hmm. then uh, individual people just kind of started putting on their own shows. And at that time, I remember Combat Corps was uh, a big deal. You know, they had, yeah. in, in, in 86, 86 was a really good year because all a lot of great music came out then. And so Combat Corps had, you know, Crumb Suckers, Ludacris, and that the Agnostic uh, Front Eliminator record came out and stuff like that. So they were, those bands were coming down and they, they were, there were shows like at Polish National Alliance Halls. Uh, yeah. Any place that had a venue that would allow hardcore, uh, that's what's that kind of what was happening for our shows. But no, but no particular spot like a CBGB's. Like that happened earlier. Yeah, it's funny. Um, the loft, of course, I was never there. Uh, but that was is that Utah Street? That was yeah. uh, Utah Street. Utah Mulberry. Yep. What was Baltimore like at the time when you guys were coming up? Was was being a punk, was being into hardcore in the city? Uh, a fucking target on your back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. From 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 a lot of from a, like no, it was it was still early enough to where nobody really got it. So there was animosity from you know from all the kids in the county. There was animosity from all the kids in the projects. Uh, there was uh. The, the the Nazi skinhead thing was big back then, you know, so like, you know, that was that was a real that was a real struggle. Uh, not so much cops, you know, but like but just people in Baltimore, you know, kind of. You know, they, if if you're not from where they're from or doing what they're doing, you know, like there were neighborhoods that we'd walk through and people would just like clear out of bars and come after us and we'd have to fight <laughs> right there. You know, on our way to a party or on our way to a show or something like that. You know, what were the neighborhoods? Who's the problem? Uh, Hampton was one of them. Uh, Highland Town was pretty weird. Yep. Uh, Fucking uh, Pigtown was a mess. (laughs) Uh, The Inner Harbor was kind of neutral. Yeah. You know, the uh, only safe place we really had, it seemed like, was Charles Street. (laughs) Yeah. 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 <laughs> Alleys, yeah, you know, <laughs> those like the only safe places. But <laughs> anything outside of that, even going to the loft, I remember back in the day, you know, it was the the projects were on the other side of uh, you know, Packer Street, and so I mean Martin Luther King. So you know, yeah. there was a lot of transit people going back and forth, and to just walk. In that area, you know, in 84, 85, and be punk rock or just look different was a real trip in the city. I mean, to the point where people, I mean, you know, I've been walking down the street, people yell, 
shit at me off the bus because I had a flannel shirt tied around my my waist and uh, bleached jeans, you know, and I'm thinking about how things are now. And it's like, it's so no, nothing shocks anybody anymore. But back then, shit, we put on a pair of bleached jeans and a leather jacket with some uh, writing on it. And people were like, what the hell are you? And, oh. and it was it was crazy. <laughs> they called us devil worshippers and psychos. Was, oh, that, that was the favorite one, devil worshippers, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about... What about at home? How was how was your involvement with with punk rock hardcore taken at home? Well, for me, it was I was it was pretty easy. My my parents uh, kind of let me do my thing, you know. In fact, I, you know, when you're into it, you're thinking, "Oh, are well, you supposed to hate your parents?" But I didn't. I didn't hate my parents. You know, my parents kind of let me uh, explore whatever it is I was exploring. As far as they were concerned, they I mean, you know, my looks started to change and the music was louder and crazier in the basement when they were hearing me play music, but they didn't really bother me. Uh, I didn't have the horror stories like I would hear a lot of people have, like, you know, you meet a lot of runaways and stuff like that, yeah. and people that are having problems in their family, but uh, especially just because they're, you know, punk rock and they got a mohawk or a shaved head or, you know, a skinhead, whatever it is. Um, a lot of the, I've met a lot of people like that, but for me, I can't say uh, that was a real issue. Yeah, it was, it was pretty much the same for me. Uh, my family never, uh, you know, they didn't have a negative reaction to what I was doing. Um, I'd always been into music, you know, and playing music. So that made me naturally, you know, curious. And uh, and, I, and I explored in a lot of stuff. Uh, my mom actually ended up liking the Bad Brains, like, a lot. <laughs> you know, she, she was actually into them. Um uh, school was a little weird, you know, especially as I got into the skinhead thing, uh, that, 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 it, that there were a lot of like, there was a lot of questions about that. People weren't sure how to take it, but, uh, but for the most part at home, you know, it, it, it wasn't a big deal, you know, especially like in my house, you know, right. yeah, I was the same way me, you know, my mom and I got along, you know, except when I, you know, would come home in trouble usually. Like she wasn't so hot about that, but you know, she wasn't tripping on the uh on the on my interest or like the culture that I was getting involved in or or you know, even my friends, you know, because I definitely bring some strange people to the house, you know, during those days. But you know, yeah, she just took it in stride. That's good. That's good. That's good to hear for both of you. Uh it doesn't seem like it's usually a case, especially back back then when uh, it was, more, like you mentioned, more different uh, than it is now. Uh, so the band starts 87. How do you fill out the rest of the band? I had played, uh, so I was, Grant and I were in White Noise uh, mm. together. And when uh, that recorded a demo, I think we played maybe, maybe two or three shows. Uh, and then it just kind of fizzled out. And, uh, and then Mike and I met at that party. And, uh, so that established, you know, bass, guitar and drums and our friend Richie, who was the common friend between Mike and I, uh, was going to sing, um, initially and, uh, that didn't work out. And so we were, we were still looking for a singer actively. And this guy that went to the same college as Grant heard about us. And uh, I think Grant found him, actually. I don't remember 100%. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Grant was like, dude, I met this skinhead from New York. He's in all the bands that you guys are into. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, I told him we were looking for a singer and he said he was interested. And, and on scene comes Sebastian. And um, and who never, who never sang before, by the way, and never been, yeah. never been in a band. <laughs> that was his first time ever singing. So just, just had the charisma. Yeah. I mean, he yeah. was a natural. I guess all those matinees at CBGB's rubbed off because uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was a big part of that scene. So he was exactly what we were looking for. Do you guys remember the first show that you play? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. So uh, what safari club with underdog? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, things were easy, easier done back in those days. And, uh, I loved underdog. I've seen underdog a lot 
before uh, we even got to play with them. But at that time, you could actually call bands up. You know, they put their numbers on yeah. flyers, on back of records. And I remember I had their seven inch and they had their number on their seven inch. And I called up Russell and I was like, hey, man, you know, there's this place down in Baltimore. I mean, down in uh, D.C. called Safari Club. He had heard about it because by that time, I think uh, like Safari Club kind of just started out as far as doing uh, the matinee shows. And I think uh, by that time, Gorilla Biscuits had played down there. I was like one of their first shows. And then um, uh, this show was going to be, I think maybe their second or third, the one with us. And so I got, I got uh, Russell in contact with John from Cornerstone that was putting on the shows and he pretty much uh, hooked the rest of it up. So that was our first show was a band that I was just, dying to play with. So I was, I was super excited that day because, uh, you know, you can't do that now. You got to do a lot of negotiating <laughs> to get fans to play. <laughs> just call up on the phone and say, Hey man, you want to do a show? Yeah. So it was really that simple. Do you remember how gut instinct went over that first time around? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it hit. It, 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 it like everybody got it. Yeah, instantly. It, it's crazy because when we put the demo out, you know, we put the demo out, we sold it to a few people, we passed it around, but we didn't know that just was just in Baltimore. We didn't know it reached like through the D.C., Virginia area. So when we first started playing, I'm thinking, all right, my attitude was, yeah, we're just going to, you know, be humble and play what we play and play our stuff. And we know that we're new and it's our first time. I didn't have any expectations. So when we started playing, and I'll never forget, uh, the first song we played was Your Day Will Come. And the entire place was singing the, uh, you know, <laughs> the lyrics right along with Sebastian. And it was like uh, mm-hmm. a huge sound. And I was blown away. I was like, wow, how do they know, you know, this song? Because <laughs> this, we're just, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, no one heard of us yet. But obviously, you know, the tape got around quickly and the response was way more than I could ever expect. I was not even expecting it. So you guys released a tape before your first show? Yeah. It's very smart. And that's something people do a lot of times now. But I feel like for most of my time coming up, that wasn't done that way. You played shows and then you did a demo. And then but I always thought the approach that you you did that you took is the way to go. And that seems like the case. And but also at that time, there weren't a lot of places doing shows. So, you know, when they started Safari Club, that started to be that was like the new hub for hardcore for that style of hardcore now to that. That's where those type of shows was, were happening. Everywhere else was kind of sporadic. And then also, Mike, you might remember, we tried to play a few places in Baltimore and they didn't like us. They didn't want they didn't not that even that they heard of us, but they didn't like the style we were playing. They didn't like, I remember hearing stuff about, oh, you you guys will attract a bunch of skinheads. Yeah, yeah. Hardcore kids because it wasn't punk rock. And Baltimore was still kind of on that, you know, punk rock kind of thing. And so what we were playing, they really didn't like because there were some places happening. But I I, I definitely remember us not, uh, you know, kind of being... pushed aside because of the style of music we were playing. And so that's really why we ended up in D.C. for our first show, because no one would give us a show in Baltimore. And we had the demo. And we were just labeled as trouble. (laughs) 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 That's the truth. We were like, oh, yeah, they're trouble, man. They're going to bring a bunch of skinheads. I remember hearing that all the time. All the time. Yep. All the time. Yeah. So we actually didn't start playing any shows in Baltimore until after DC. That's when uh, people that were putting on shows were like, okay, yeah, you, you guys want to play? And I was like, okay, see? And that was <laughs> that was at least that was at least a year later. Yeah. You know? Yep. It, it it took a minute to get to get back in Baltimore. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Because we played a That's- lot of shows. DC, we played shows outside of Maryland, Delaware, yeah. you know, Jersey. We went a lot of a lot of suburbs in Delaware and Jersey and uh parts of Maryland, but yeah, all the way down to Richmond. Yeah. Yep. Not Baltimore City though. 
not until like after that underdog show. That's really interesting, especially given the way like it's things sonically have kind of flipped between Baltimore and DC, where you think of DC more now as the, the, the you know, the punk style hardcore and Baltimore is yeah. the hard hardcore. And yeah. uh, it, it's interesting though. It took <laughs> several years for them to adapt. Yeah. Well, uh, before you got on, Mike, uh, Lars and I were talking about how uh, Guttensick played a fair amount of shows up around here in the Pennsylvania area, York, Lidditz, Reading, which is something that I've always seen on flyers, you know, looking at old flyers and seeing Gut Instinct shows. Uh, you guys already mentioned getting out um, kind of around you know, the DMV area. How did you do that back then? Was that the same way that you brought people in? Was that people calling you guys off the demo? Uh, pretty much off the demo, you know, you put out flyers, you know, that's the crazy thing back then. We had to do everything ourselves. You know, we had to, uh, you know, you wrote your phone number down on a flyer, you know, for booking, for shows, blah, 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 that kind of thing. And people would just literally call you and say, Hey, you know, you want to do a show on this date? It's at this place. You know, a lot of kids had, uh, fanzines back then. So you could run your things in a fanzine as far as, uh, you know, you're, you're, well, a lot of people interviewed us also in like a lot of those fanzines, even in like, in, uh, you know, in PA and, and places like that. Uh, so we would do these uh, interviews and leave uh, contact information. And so if the place wasn't too far and they wanted us to play a show, we would, we were trying to do it. Well, there's a, there's an infamous picture of you guys uh, from an out of town show standing in front of the Nazi flag. Yeah. What's, <laughs> what's the story on this one? Holy shit. We, uh, we got invited to play this, uh, outlaw MC clubhouse in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, with, uh, this mother's day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. with Marauder and uh, who else was on that? It was a really good show. Um, it was Sheer Terror. Not, yeah, it was Marauder, Sheer Terror, yeah. and, and, and there, was, there, was, there, was, there was one other, uh, wasn't Killing Time. Uh, it'll, it'll come to me like by the time this is over and I'll blurt it out. But uh, <laughs> Three we years go to Brooklyn. This. Oh, man. I, I'm just maybe 89. Maybe yeah, 89. Because yeah. I think I I had just graduated. And uh yeah. so we go up there and and you know we cross the Verrazanos, and the next thing you know, we're in this industrial part of Brooklyn, and uh it's nothing but warehouses, and we get to this place, and literally there's 50, 60 choppers parked out front. There's Constantino wire across the gates, like to get in and, 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 uh, like, I don't know, watchtowers that these guys got guards in, they open the gates and we pull in there and, uh, and they bring us into the clubhouse. And, uh, so I, I, you know, I don't know what the fuck is going on. This is unlike any show I've ever been to before we play, they like it. And we, uh, they, they, ask for an encore and they've got shotguns and <laughs> kind of like make us play the encore again. Demand an encore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I never forget one of the, one of the guys from the club comes up on stage and introduces us 
And uh, he's like, where are you guys from again? And we're like, uh, Baltimore. He's like, Baltimore? Isn't that near Florida? <laughs> like, holy shit. But, uh, but yeah, that was, uh, that was in their clubhouse. And, uh, and, and that was our, I think we conquered this clubhouse and escaped with our lives photo. <laughs> and it's stealing the, the thunder. Cause like I say, back then there was a real problem with the, the neo-Nazi skinhead movement. Like, I don't know, people, people today can't even imagine what it was like. Like, I remember going to shows where a bunch of those boneheads would, you know, like be hiding in the alleys, waiting to jump people, steal their boots, you know, and, uh, and, and play their games. So it was, uh, some, uh, some people that I know <laughs> were used to retaliate against that shit. And, uh, take every opportunity they could to steal their thunder and give them the bird, you know? And that was, uh, that was my way of saying, fuck you to those guys. We got your flag. We're not scaring yeah. you. And yeah. And I think we, we took that picture out of spite. That, yeah. that picture was actually a fuck you picture. And that's why we have that look on our face. Like that's right. We're standing in front of the flag. So what? <laughs> and we're here. So yeah, I think that's why people love it. I, like it's it truly is like a, a like a iconic hardcore picture. Not not just Baltimore hardcore. Like people people know what that fucking is. Sometimes I think that's what most people who are in the hardcore know about Gut Instinct is that picture. Like I think it's gone that far. Uh, it's, yeah. it's a very cool thing. And of course, I've I'm too young to have experienced all the Nazi boneheads shit back then. But I I know plenty of people who lived through it and have told the stories. I mean, I I guess the question for gut instinct would be, are these guys showing up to your shows just to start shit? Cause I mean, are they really coming to see a, a band with black guys in it? Is that, does that make sense to anybody? No, I, I think for us, like they, they didn't come to our shows at all Okay, because the shows we were playing was like totally different scene that kind of outs the whole uh, Nazi skinhead thing. And I think us being a presence, especially in Baltimore, because to me, it slowly faded out as far as uh, being a real concern at, at some point, uh, probably towards the uh, early 90s. But, uh, you know, the places we played, the shows we did, they wouldn't come to those shows anyway. I think more so in the beginning when we were uh, just going to shows regularly, mm -hmm. just regular, you know, just going to shows, we would experience that stuff. But I think, uh, you know, when we formed the band, the city, the kids that were against that kind of had a voice because a lot of our songs in that yeah. off our off our demo was about our incidents, our incident with uh, you know, Nazi skinheads, you know, the whole gut instinct song, you know, we had right wing height, we had gone too far, you know, a lot of those songs were written about our experiences, you know. So they're like true stories. We're not just like writing stuff like back then with that demo, we were writing things that actually happened. So, you know, we're saying another night out, things are going our way. Like that actually happened that night, that old bats and bottles and fighting with people and stuff like that. And just trying to go, just trying to go to a show and hang out. And then it turned into a fight. And, you know, you kind of in a place where you get that feeling, that gut feeling that something's not going to go well, because you can see, you can kind of see the elements that are starting to come around and that's how, you know, a lot of that music was written. Uh, a lot of stuff we wrote back then was our experience. So uh, Victims of Hate, that was just, that was another one that's, that uh, was based on, you know, what was happening at the yeah. time. Because, you know, for us, with hardcore, at least back then, you were actually writing about what was happening in the scene. You know, the, the, the subject matter kind of switched a little bit away from politics and government, you know, as it, you know, was more prevalent in the uh, early punk time, you know, the more punk bands. But kind of, to me, the hardcore music kind of spoke more personal with people. So it was like more written about per personal experiences. And I think that's what people related to, because we're not talking about a tier of the government or anything like that, that people are like, ah, you know, yeah, I get it. But now we're talking about these motherfuckers down the street mm -hmm. that are coming up to whip your ass or at least threatening to. So. I think people related to the fact that uh, a lot of the content was more so about that now, about real life. And, you know, me and Mike always agreed, you know, when Chromax put their Age of Quarrel out, 
that was the turning tide for me in in hardcore because at that point when I heard that record, I was like, it's like a light bulb went off. And I'm like, you know, this shit is serious and the music is serious. It's not fun and games, it is, but at the same time, the the subject matter got more serious. So our writing was serious right off the gate, even though we were both beginner beginners as far as writing songs. Uh, we were right. It was easy because we were writing about what was actually happening. We didn't have to imagine anything. So, but we took a lot of those cues from uh, that Cro-Mags record. That's very cool, and uh, and and I think that's why it resonated so well with everybody and continues to. One because it's it's a kind of a. I want to say it's totally timeless because like you said, some of that, a lot of those issues uh, like, you know, having to deal with Nazis and shit, that's essentially eradicated, especially down in Baltimore. I haven't seen fucking anyone try to try that shit in, in years and years and years and years, you know, and I uh, don't expect it would work out for them uh, at any point, but especially, you know, these days. Um, Gut Instinct as a band, how long did you guys go from? So if you say you started in 87, when do you say it? It ends, you know, officially. 90. Like 91? Into I, 90. I, yeah, maybe just into 91, because I I came out here right around 91, 92. Like when the band broke up, I split. And that was, yeah, that was that was 90. I left the winter of 92. So, yeah, it might have made it till that spring or something. That's, That's only four years. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. That's that isn't that does that seem wild to you guys that that all that gut instinct experience was within four years? It does. Because yeah. Because I'm thinking like, you know, we could have did a lot more damage, but you would think that <laughs> you would think that it went, was longer than that. But we really went in headstrong and we were at it the whole four years, though. We weren't we didn't take any breaks. So we were on it pretty hard uh, for those four years. It was like once it started, as soon as we did that, that underdog show, it never stopped. Yeah, we got to work and we had the, because uh, we had songs coming for the seven inch. We were working on that and we, we were playing a lot of shows almost every weekend. We were playing somewhere. So it was, it was, uh, and then when the, the seven inch came out, then it really got hectic. <laughs> Yeah, what was the what would you say was the uh was the peak of gut instinct? I'm gonna say for me, it was when we came back to Baltimore and played the show at the dry dock. Uh okay. Yeah. When well, and it was for me it was personal because it was uh the people from Baltimore had got it. He's like, okay, we got they got it. Cause we saw this warehouse full of kids going nuts and they were from Baltimore. And we, not that we didn't appreciate other places, but our goal was really to do that in Baltimore, have that same type of New York scene in Baltimore, have that same Richmond or, uh, you know, any, any scene that's happening on the East coast, as far as having, uh, uh, you know, a basis, uh, to go on and to play and to bands to uh, to relate to. And we saw people going that crazy uh, for that show. For me, that was like a pivotal point. I'm like, wow, like, I think I think we got it. Like, yeah, people really get it now. We're not in D.C. and we're in we're in Baltimore. And it's like it feels like we're in like New York City or something because we've seen people we've never seen before. You know, of course, I'm sure people traveled in town for it. I don't know. But uh, there's there's video out of that show. Uh, so that was it for me. Yeah, I did. I'd, I'd have to agree. I, by that time, I think that it was. Uh, yeah. At, at that time, they knew who we were at home. And, and that was that was definitely that was special. That's probably the most special moment of yeah. uh of everything that, uh, that we did. Cause you know, like Mike said in the beginning, the whole idea was to get Baltimore to rally around, you know, not just the band, but, but like this kind of scene, you know, standing up for the city and, and, you know, and, and repping what's good about it, you know, and, and becoming a part of that East coast 
hardcore thing, you know, that was, that was happening. Yeah. And that was definitely one of those nights. Yeah. Cause we yeah. want, we wanted, I mean, I don't think we got around to it, but we wanted to leave it so that bands would, you know, they would have their name, whatever the name is, you know, next step up, uh, Baltimore hardcore, you know, like, yeah, do that. Right. Everyone else is doing it. You, you go to New York, they're doing it anywhere else, Philly, you know, anywhere else. But, uh, we just wanted a piece of that for, for, for Baltimore. So that was our whole point. And that show, it seemed like after that show, I just seen, you know, bands started to cut, people started forming bands and it became Baltimore hardcore. And that was without us ever mentioning it. Like, you know, we never said Baltimore hardcore. That became a thing like later. Yeah. Well, you guys, like we've kind of established and you even really mentioned, it's kind of started it all, right? And there's arguably Baltimore hardcore is among the biggest hardcore scenes. Definitely right now, the most successful hardcore scene that currently exists. I mean, just take Turnstile as one band that came from it that's out there. Like that band's huge and they're still yeah. referencing Gut Instinct and they're still putting you guys on their playlist that they have on on shit um do you i mean and then there's other bands in between next step up stout trapped under ice end it all of them referencing respecting the name gut instinct do you feel like i mean i, I guess you gotta if you're talking about you wanted the city to own the sound you build it and uh i hope that you felt the respect from it absolutely <laughs> yeah 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 you definitely get it and uh I mean, I mean, for years I would go back and forth with Mike and send them stuff like, hey man, look at this. Like, cause we we're kind of, you know, we're older, we're kind of humble about it. So we're we're thinking, wow, they still uh respect what we did, they still keep us in mind, they still throw our name out there, and we still seem to be a part of uh, of this scene that we intentionally built. Like we intentionally want to lay the groundwork for it to be. Whatever it is today, you know, that was our goal is to make it a thing in Baltimore. You know, whether we're in it or not, we just like felt like Baltimore's a city that should have its own sound and its own and it has, should have that kind of hardcore uh, be a part of the genres. We're just happy that it's that it's happening like it is. And when I see bands like Turnstile doing their thing and they reference us, I'm just like, wow, that's. I'm just grateful to it, you know? Yeah. It's completely humbling, you know, and, and, uh, and an honor. It, and it happens so fast. If you told me 30 years ago that this was going to happen, uh, I, I don't know that I'd, I'd have been able to comprehend what you were talking about, you know, but every time I come home and see what, uh, what, how it's grown, and uh and rooted itself you know what i mean it's it, it's so it's so solid now yeah. uh that yeah it's just it's it's an absolute honor to be a part of it at all so you know it's i'm, I'm definitely thankful to everybody you know that that came out then and that continues you know to share what we did you know it's, yeah. it's awesome to see it's awesome it's so much more than i ever guessed or expected would have happened that's great. I'm, I'm very glad to hear that. I'm like, uh, I'm glad that it reaches you guys in that way and that you're aware of, you know, the, the way that people look fondly on the band and your impact and the, their influence that you truly had on not only just the, the city, but the, the scene and like, you know, where it goes from there, because it doesn't just, you know, it doesn't just stay in that city. It branches out. People hear the sound the way you heard that was happening in New York and you say, we'll take this yep. and do that down yeah. here. And, you know, it spreads. And that's a that's a very cool thing. Um, I've been fortunate enough, like I said, I wasn't around for the first go around for Gun Instinct, but I've seen you guys do plenty of uh, reunion shows or at least a couple. Right. And of course, you've got a big one coming up where you're coming back to the city again uh, in I guess it's late January to play the fest that's named after essentially named after Gun Instinct and Disturbing the Peace Fest. Uh, so tell me about that. How do you guys, how do you guys do that now? Uh, being the fact that you're kind of all over the country. What's the, what's the setup? You got to, I, I believe you got Matt Maben, the drummer for everybody is uh, stepping in to help you <laughs> with this show. So tell me about the decision to do this and, and get back at it one more time. The promoter reached out last year and uh, just because of scheduling issues, we weren't able to make that one. And, um, and then he reached out again uh, early enough this year and, uh, 
And, you know, I was thinking, you know, man, they named the festival after one of our songs. We have to have to play at least one of them. So, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's really, it's, it's not complicated. It's a flight home. You know, I grew up with everybody that's going to be there. Uh, all our friends are in bands, you know, so we've got places to rehearse and, you know, gear to use. And uh, I don't know, it's, it's as easy as it was back then. You know, it's as easy as me skipping school and running off to New Jersey somewhere to play, you know? Um, and uh, I don't know, just, it, it's the fact that it's happening. Uh, I think this is the second annual one. Second or I third. Know, I don't know. know. Yeah. Thanks. The second um, one. So, you know, it's, 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 it's good to see that it's, it's still happening. It, it's, it, it looks like it's got a lot of, uh, it's got a lot of traction. A lot of people are buzzing about it already. You know, as soon as when I, when I posted it, it was, uh, you know, people were just like, yes. So it's, uh, I think it's going to be, you know, I think it's going to be a really fun night. Um, and the logistics are easy. I don't know. Just a flight home. Yeah. And it's, it's easy for me. Uh, I'm just, I'm just, uh, you know, 45 minutes down the road. So I just pack up the truck and go. And uh, it's pretty easy for Sebastian, too. You know, he just, I mean, you know, singers is easy. You just get in the car and drive. <laughs> <laughs> so, but the complicated part was, the, was is the, the drums, you know, as far yeah. as Grant being able to make these shows and have the equipment and fly from California. That was that was a big component as far as uh, having us not, well, as far as schedule and uh, getting everybody on the same um, page to do it. Uh, I think with Matt, it was just a lot easier. He's there, he's active, he's playing. We know him, we like him. Uh, and uh, he's a part of our little clique, our scene too. So, I mean, we couldn't think of a better person to fill in. Uh, other than Matt, you know, so he's fucking good too, right? He's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's good. <laughs> he's good. That's great. That's great. Well, I was happy to see. I know he just did. Uh, he just filled it, filled in for Next Step Up, or is filling in for. Or, I don't know. Filling in is a word. Playing with Next Step Up. I've seen him do, of course, all of his bands. So it's very cool to see him yeah. behind the kit for Gut Instinct as well. Um, is there anything you would have changed about? your time with gut instinct. Is there anything that you look back on and you go, oh, I wish I would have done this differently. I think for me, I wish I would have, uh, if I've done anything differently, it would, I would have pushed, uh, I would have pushed more to keep it together to go a little bit longer. I think that's probably my only regret is to not, is that I didn't push harder to make it last a little bit longer to see where, you know, at least to the point where uh, we put an album out. You know, hmm. but, you know, everybody had their own things going on and, and, and you know, and the things were changing with everybody, uh, even with myself. So. Um, but if I were to go back and do it again, I would probably push it harder to like, hey, Mike, don't go to uh, don't go here. <laughs> Forget about going to college. You guys should just stay here. Forget <laughs> grad school. <laughs> play hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's play hardcore. Don't. <laughs> Don't forget grad, forget grad school. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I wish we, uh, it, it all came to an end right as it was getting ready to evolve sound wise mm -hmm. into, into what I was really chasing as, as a sound, you know, like I, I we like right when it stopped, we were at the point where, you know, we, we were definitely, uh, we, we were walking confidently, I think in, in our own boots, so to speak. And, uh, the only thing that I regret not being able to do is getting, uh, getting an album out, uh, and, and getting a recording of the quality of the bands that we were listening to, you know, that, that's, that's the, uh, that's the only thing that I, I, I missed out on with, uh, with, with the band, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, if we could have done that. That would have, uh, that would have capped it all properly for me yeah good for me when i listen to bands that like uh put an album out you know like killing time or war zone and they basically took their uh demos and redid them and made them better and did you know made the sound quality better they got it more professionally done i think that's 
you know, also a part of which uh, something I think um, regret us not doing is uh, putting out an album that contained a lot of the songs from the seven inch in the demo uh, yeah. kind of redone. We did have the uh, discography CD that uh, Dom put out on A389, which yeah. I know introduced a lot of people to to the band. Um, is that all of it? Is that truly all of the recorded material from Gut Instinct that actually exists? Yeah. Yeah. Nothing yeah. floating out, floating around out there. Nothing floating around, no. Not that I know. No, of. that's it. That's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you never know what happened in the practice room, but but yeah, as far as I know, that's it. What are you most looking forward to with this uh, with this show that you got in January, disturbing the peace fest? I'm always anxious to check out the bands I haven't seen yet, uh, and uh, you know, really just getting back to. Uh, getting back to my family and, and playing with, you know, playing with my friends again, you know, it's, it's always, it's, I miss, like I was telling you earlier, you know, before we started the the interview, it, there's not, there's not a scene like that out where I'm at. And so I've been, you know, I've been separated from that for so long that I always appreciate be, just being able to take all that in, take the city in, uh, seeing the generations of people, you know, like my friends, kids and grandkids, you know, are listening to, to hardcore now, you know, and, and hanging out at shows. And, uh, I, I just love that vibe. You know, I want to, I want to immerse myself in that for the uh, two days that the event's going on. So for me, that's what I'm looking forward to. And I love, you know, my getting to spend time with Mike and Sebastian, you know, catch up with Matt, you know, we're going to miss Grant this year, but just being in the, being in that mix, you know, I, I'm, cause it's just like, it's exactly like it was when we were kids doing it. You know, it's like nothing changes when we get back in a room together, it's just all the same. So I'm looking yeah. forward to that the most. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Same, same for me, you know, it's, it's, uh, Definitely, I'm 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 excited about to hear about hear a lot of the new bands I see here on the um, that are you know uh, on the flyer to play. I want to see the new bands. I love to see to hear new bands and new music. You know what they're doing, and I think for us uh, personally, you know, he said uh, we we see our friends and family and stuff like that, and just hanging out. Uh, so to me, those are the two main things is uh, seeing friends and hanging out and just kind of watching the whole thing happen, you know, um, and just yeah. being uh, proud of it, especially uh, in a place like the sound stage, which, which is a great venue. You know, I've been there plenty of times seeing uh, other bands, but to actually play there now, that's going to be pretty sick because they got a great sound system. Uh, so a suicidal tendencies there and sick of it all a couple of years ago. That was their sound off the hook so yeah between uh uh friends and family and and seeing the new bands and hearing them play and that, that'll be good i'm looking forward to that that's great well essentially uh you guys can enjoy the thing that you basically built uh and, and i'm not the only one who thinks that so uh take it all in enjoy it for what it is and thank you guys for the time for talking to me today for being for making the music you made the scene you made i live i lived and breathed that scene for a good decade down there i've been listening to music for years i've watched your been to your shows um so thank you again for your time and for all that uh, it means a lot to a lot of people thank, thank you, you man
there you have it. That was my conversation with the fellows from Gut Instinct. The song you just heard was Disturbing the Peace, the classic track from their Disturbing the Peace 7-inch, which came out uh, quite a few years ago and was reissued in 2005 by A389 Records as well. Go look for it. You can find it somewhere. I'm sure it's available out there physically, definitely digitally. It's in the ether. It's in the history books, the band that started it all for Baltimore Hardcore. Thanks to them again, not just the guys I talked to, but the other members of the band, the fill-ins and whoever else joined along the way over the years. Much respect and uh, thanks for making this thing official. If you yourself are interested in going to see the band play this January, I'm sure tickets are still available for Disturbing the Peace Fest. It's quite a big show. There is a before show with Killing Time and The Aftermath is playing. That's very cool. Anti is on that one. Erode is on that as well. And then there's the main event. There's a biohazard headliner the same day as Gut Instinct. I don't have it in front of me, but there's a shitload of bands worthy of seeing the following day is headlined by H2O and Outburst. I might have those days mixed up. You know what? You go look it up. Buy yourself a ticket while you're there and enjoy the festivities in a cold Baltimore January day. I'm sure it'll be freezing, but you can handle it. But I guess that's going to be it for this one. I've done almost every Baltimore hardcore band that's ever existed to a certain level. And I guess the, the next one on the list, it has to be Turnstile. So somebody uh, send them my way. I don't know those guys anymore, is what I always say. I don't know them anymore. Yeah, they're the last one to talk to on the podcast. Before we get out of here, of course, I want to encourage you to go over to gettingitout.net and check out what's going on. It's Friday, so there's new releases, a whole big list for you to check out. A couple more sick records have come out uh, that are worthy of your time in 2023. And maybe you just want to turn it off, though, and just get to 2024, a fresh reset. Do you need it? New year, new you. Tough shit, dude. We're not doing that. That's going to be it for this one, though. I'm going to play you a track from Erode, a band based out of Baltimore, a hardcore band based out of Baltimore. I played them on here before, but I'm going to play them on here again. This one is called Lambskin. As I mentioned earlier, they'll be playing the Disturbing the Peace pre-show headlined by Killing Time. But here, listen, get a preview now. It's the track Lambskin. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.